0: So I've really been getting into plants a lot lately. I've been searching Facebook Marketplace, trying to find all of these local plants, these people that are you know needing to sell these plants. And I know this is gonna sound obvious to a lot of people, but I keep killing these damn things. So this is my effort to help save some plants out there. I know that, again, this is gonna sound obvious, but what I never took into account was actually you know, sticking my finger into the soil. And I found out, I've been doing a lot of research on you know, how to do things. I basically have been overwatering plants, right? So what you want to try to do is stick your finger into the soil about an inch or so. And if it feels dry, the plant needs more water most often. If it feels wet, then don't water it anymore. So that was a huge tip that has started me being able to keep these plants alive and have them start flourishing. So hopefully that helps some other people not slaughter their plants. On the Invest in Square Feet podcast, we unlock the secrets of wealthy entrepreneurship. I'm Matt Shields, and my mission is to help you business owners protect and grow your wealth so that you can invest passively into multifamily real estate. If you've been an entrepreneur for any time at all, I'm sure you probably have been proposed or run across the idea of writing a book for whatever industry it is that you serve. But the problem is, is that writing a book is extremely difficult. So today, you're going to learn the best way to be able to self-publish your book to be able to maximize your exposure and give you the best opportunity to be able to profit from your book. Today's guest is Lars Emmerich, who is a thriller author. And to the best of his knowledge, he believes that he is the first author that has been able to make a career out of selling directly to his fans and his readers. Lars drops a few nuggets here during our interview, but he is a best selling author for the series, the special agent series that revolves around Sam Jameson, You're gonna spend a a lot of time writing and working on this book. So you want to give yourself the best chance for success. And Lars has figured out how to do that. And we cover that today on Invest in Square Feet.
1: Well, at the time it was three years after Jeff Bezos, young, skinny, enthusiastic kid goes on, I think like Good Morning America or something and talks about this weird thing called the Kindle. And so it was the beginning of the independent publishing revolution. And so as I was trying to figure out which direction should I go, should I go try to land an agent who will then try to land a publishing contract? I said, well, I should probably look at the publishing contract, see what that's all about. Mm -hmm. Before I I choose my life vector on the strength of an idea or another. And I read the publishing contract terms and I was like, this is freaking stupid. Who signs this? The only people who sign this are probably people who don't have another option. And there was no option before. That's how the contracts got to be so terrible. And the terms just are atrocious. And so I said, well, I sound strange having spent 20 years in the military, but I I have authority issues also. So I said, ah, screw it. I'm going to go do my own thing. And, uh, so that I never looked back, never, never had a moment where I felt like, oh man, I really wish I had a publisher to, you know, to to not
0: do. So I, I know that there's all kinds of, I guess, secrets, techniques, whatever to publishing in Amazon. Did you learn all of that type of stuff? Like right off the bat or is this, and I'm not, I'm by no means an expert in it at all. But I guess I'm I'm just curious, did you know about any of that stuff when you published it, you know, the first time, or was this just sort of a very much so trial and error
1: type situation? It's, it's both. I did a lot of, re- I tend to nerd out a little bit. So I spent a lot of time digging through all of that stuff. And I had, uh, I guess I had started my entrepreneurial journey officially like in 2003. So maybe already like nine-ish years before so I knew my way around a bit. I mean, things changed quickly, but I wasn't starting from a dead stop. I had, mm-hmm. I had some momentum already and I, I had some sense for how things worked. So those pieces fit together fairly quickly for me. I was able to follow some of the best practices that people had around to get a good bit of traction on. Uh, at the time, there were a number of platforms that were, that were major players. Apple Books, canadian outfit called kobo obviously amazon barnes and noble had stuff going on there were a bunch of smaller independent more independent privately held concerns that were also publishing and so the strategy at the time was go wide be be every place kindle unlimited i think had kicked off or maybe was beginning was launched maybe shortly thereafter so my strategy was to be every place books are sold to the extent possible, without a distribution pipeline to be in like airports. And at the time, there was still a bunch of bookstores around. And so hard to get into bookstores without sort of playing yeah. the old, yeah, the old school process. Yeah. And then everything consolidated, you know, like, like frequently happens. There's only one player that really makes a difference now. And that's Amazon, of course, in the, in the field. But the interesting thing about that is, you know, for my fellow math nerds, that's a power law kind of gain, meaning the rewards are very, very big for a very, very, very small number of authors. And for every, every one author who has ever in his lifetime or her lifetime earned over a million dollars, I'm not talking about in a year, I'm just talking about total career total, there are 1.67 million other authors who have not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in fact, 0.06% of authors have ever sold a thousand copies or more. Wow. Yeah. Time. So it's a tall mountain and it's a very steep slope, and it's only getting taller and only getting steeper. It's an yeah. interesting ecosystem to dive into.
0: So if you were starting today and you, uh, you know, obviously you've done this many times over becoming uh, a best selling author. What would be some of the tips, strategies that you would use to be able to you know, achieve that goal? And this kind of gets into some of the things that I think the way that Amazon and the other platforms work with how you position yourself maybe in a, a field or category that might not be as popular. And you kind of just make your way up through the ranks that way. Is that how it works? Or I guess kind of go through some of your thoughts on how to achieve that.
1: Sure. Yeah. I recently... Because as soon as I figured I have to sell directly to readers at a profit, and as soon as I made my first million dollars doing that, I was like, hey, you know, lots of people are going to want to know how to do this. And so I, it's involved and nerdy, and there's a bunch of fussy technical things to do. So I have a consulting program that helps with that. But I've been doing it for a while, and the game changes, and I wanted to revisit some prior assumptions. Because when you serve customers directly, you do customer service. Yeah. And That's hard often. And the nice thing about Amazon is they do that on your behalf. You have no idea. Well, first of all, you have no idea who your customers are. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how to find more customers, really. Because you can't differentiate a paying customer from a person off the street, you know, otherwise. But so what I did over this year is I took my series, which is a successful series, and I stopped my direct sales advertising and I, I, put everything I have learned over the last 19-ish years in digital marketing, I tried to make the Amazon thing work. And I'm not starting from ground zero. I'm starting from a good way up the mountain already. And I was able to do that profitably, but it took, you had to float your advertising costs for nine months before you broke even. Oh, wow. So that's tough for a lot of beginning authors. Yeah. And the other thing is that it's, it's pretty much as soon as your advertising stops, so does your visibility. So if you're paying out of pocket every day and you're not getting paid for up to 90 days for any sales that are produced on that day, and it's a very, very slow, a very, very slow accumulation, it's a difficult way to get started. Contrast that with what it's like when you sell directly to your fans and customers, you spend whatever dollars on your advertising budget today, um, in the best circumstance, you get that back and then some on the next bank day. Mm-hmm. So within just a couple of days. Worst case, you get some of that back and then your email sequences that you send out to your customers will make the rest of the revenue up for you. Another interesting thing happens when you advertise directly to readers, pointing them at your own store. This, is real, this took me by a surprise, but it's the most reliable way to also improve your Amazon royalties as well. Because while it's called cross-channel effects, at least as I understand that definition, so you're advertising for one thing, but folks will go to where they're already comfortable and type your name in and find you there and buy your stuff there. So Mm -hmm. it is, while it's important not to put all your eggs in one basket, it's important to have some eggs in that basket. Yeah. That's like, Six figures of annual incidental income that you're planning on—that just is happening by virtue of this other thing that you're doing. So, for my money, and still a nerd, so I do a lot of testing. For only testing, that seems to be the best way to get started. I Got
0: it. So you would you would advise essentially opening up your own store and building your own list, yep. and also at the same time you know, have the Amazon store. So like you said, you know, if people are familiar, they know Amazon, they, they have all their credit card information stored in Amazon. I'm just going to go there and buy it, you know, there, you know, yeah, list showing up for sure as well. Yeah. Interesting. And when you're defining the store, what does that look like for you? Are you using like Shopify or you, WordPress? What What is that platform stack look like for you? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. The stack, most readers tend to be elderly, like older the platform most relevant to those folks for advertising remains Facebook. So that's where the readers are. And so that's where the, the main advertising thrust comes from for better and for worse, just like every other platform, you know, you love it and you hate it on about like a one to four ratio. One, one part love, four parts hate. Yeah, Bang for everything I've done on Google and other, and other places too. And, um, that goes to a, a couple ways you can do it, but the the cleanest, smoothest way is just to go straight to a sales page. And for that, you can, what we tend to use is a particular landing page builder that's really good at helping you optimize the conversion rate on that page. Mm-hmm. As margins are slim as you can imagine in the book business, so it's really important that your message is dialed in. And the best way to do that is to, is to optimize it. So from that optimized landing page, uh, we go right to checkout. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, several hundred thousand dollars through like three or four different providers of e-commerce stuff. And the cleanest, there's no perfectly clean one. <laughs> like this, they all are great for some stuff and they all suck for other stuff. And it's just a matter of, of picking your poison. But for the combination of print, audiobooks, so hardcovers, paperbacks, large print editions, audiobooks, and eBooks, the one I recommend is Shopify. And just like anything else you have, you know, you have to figure out how to make all of that. It's one thing to set the structure up, but it's another thing entirely to get it to work at a profit. And so that's where the bulk of the, the work comes in.
0: Yeah. And talk a little bit about how you, and again, I know this has been going over many, many years, but how did you create your, your reader base, right? I mean, is it, you didn't start off with Facebook. Maybe you're getting a lot of people there now and you're capturing email addresses so that you can reach out to you know people that have shown interest or yeah. bought. But I'm just curious how you went about starting that email capture campaign or whatever it was that you used to be able to start reaching out to those initial readers.
1: Back in the day, there was actually discovery on the platform, meaning you just by virtue of being there, you could get some readers to find you. And both the front matter and the back matter of those ebooks, books all of the retailers used to just let you put links. So anything, you could put links to your list. You just couldn't put links to the other guy's store. That's it. So early on, it just sort of grew organically. And then the other way that you got reader eyeballs on was you would, you would give away your first book in the series, which is a tough move to have to make because years of blood, sweat, and tears in most yeah. cases to get that first one out. But it was the reality of it. So the, the freebies would attract interest. You'd get read through, they would purchase your subsequent novels, and they would also, in many cases, sign up for your email list. Now, later on, that evolved to using advertising to send folks to a landing page to sign up for a free book. So you have their email before they get the free book. And then after they have signed up for the free book, the next page is you can offer them a discounted offer on, say, the next three or the next four or the next five in your series. And a good portion of readers will take you up on that offer. It was very interesting because, you know, I, I, you know I'm i a nerd, uh, test these things. And the first three times I tested this, I found that I was 100 times more likely to sell a book to a stranger from an advertisement after first giving one away. Mm, Interesting. And that only switched about seven months into the COVID lockdown, when I think the older audience became more comfortable with online commerce. I think that's the, the switch that happened. Yeah, it was a necessity at that point. Yeah, I think so. One interesting thing that happened when you get a bunch of folks on your list who are there for a free book is that most of the people are there on your list for free books. And very few of them are there to purchase. And of course, maintaining a list becomes quite a business expense over time. So the way I prefer to run it now and the way that's more profitable to run it now is just advertisement directly to the sales page. And then when somebody makes a purchase in the checkout process for every online commerce interaction, it involves contact information, including your email address. So now every person who shows up on my email list is a paying customer. Mm -hmm. And so that's better. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. 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 I Absolutely. Hard. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. What would you say is, and again, I mean, I feel like this business, there are so many big challenges and hurdles, but are there any like, holy shit, this one was really, this one was difficult to be able to climb or figure out. Are there any like things that you can offer as shortcuts or suggestions you can offer as shortcuts? Like don't go down this path or don't, this is a, a hill you don't, you know, you shouldn't climb. There's a better way to do it. Anything come to mind when, you know, when I
1: say those types of things? Yeah. What comes to mind is it's all hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's so all that's,
0: what hard. I, that's what I always feel too, right?
1: Yeah. I was doing some math recently and, um, I think there's somewhere north of 60 million books. Available. Mm-hmm. So there's not much scarcity in the market. And it is very much a a winner-take-all. That's the power law distribution, the winner-take-all kind of of market. Mm -hmm. The margins are low, and the price pressure is ever lower. So what I think is the best advice here is that you should write if you can't not write. And then after you've written, the next thing when you create something, the next thing that happens is you want to share it. And if that feeling is strong that you want to share what you've written, give it six months, come back to it, reread it, re-edit, you know, have it send it back to an editor and get something that's professional grade. That's the bar, you know, the minimum, the minimum requirement is professional grade. And it's hard to write professional grade stories with professional grade sentences in it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's difficult to do, but that's the minimum bar. And then if you want to get into selling your books, and I'll talk in a second about my recommendation for nonfiction, but if you're a novelist, uh, if you want to get into selling your books, prepare to spend 50% of your work time building your platform, building your brand, diving into online marketing, diving into in-person marketing. And you you, you really do have to approach it as a business owner. There is no such thing as I mean, for some, you know, for James Patterson and and Lee Child and, you know, a few folks who are in superstar status, their main job is just writing great stuff and letting the momentum continue to build for everybody else. I mean, you can view that like, you know, lots of people, you know, somebody's going to win the lottery, but you know, it's probably not you. Yeah. So you really have to approach it as a business. You have to find a process that you can execute daily, both for your writing and for your marketing. You have to feed and water them both daily, basically. And then you have to be able to enjoy that process for years on end. So it's like the exact opposite of a get rich quick scheme. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you mentioned refining the book until it's professional grade. If you're looking for an editor, how do you qualify or how do you find an editor that I feel like there's There's almost like a personal connection here too, because like, you know, you're obviously speaking in your own voice. And if you give it to an editor that has a completely different voice, then, you know, that changes the story somewhat. So how do you find an editor that can speak in your voice, but also, you know, provide that professional grade opinion on how you should be phrasing everything and how everything should be structured?
1: It's a tough question. And I sort of view it like therapists right? There's a lot, there's a lot of therapists, but it's hard to find a good one. By the way, I think every human should find a therapist if you can find a good one. Yeah. I was lucky in that my, from the jump, the editor that I worked with really understood the difference between voice and style and the story. Requirements. And so she was just terrific at very gently, very gently guiding me toward the story elements that really were needed without squashing my style. Mm -hmm. And, um, because that's what people love the atmosphere and the vibe and the feeling they want. Of course, the story is important, but the way they feel while you're communicating the story, Mm -hmm. that's really what they're there for. Like they want to feel certain set of emotions that come with diving into the kind of world that you write. So I would say like great stories full of great sentences, that's the, that's the ticket. Mm -hmm. The ones that, that just engage folks on a lot of different levels, emotionally, with humor, with suspense, with fear, with anger. It lets folks lead a vicariously richer life than maybe the one that we're in normally. So it's hard, you know, to this day, I get done with a chapter and I'm like, well, I hope that's not shit. <laughs> <laughs> or if, and when I finish the book, I'm like, well, I hope I haven't just laid an egg. Yeah. <laughs> everybody who's ever liked me, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A struggle with that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, a very, very thankless process when you go through it and you don't have any idea how people are going to receive it until... No you know, until you get it out there. So yeah, interesting. Do you ever do any type of like pre-launch or sampling? Like people can preview your your upcoming books to try to get a little bit of feedback so you can judge like, did I just write shit or was it, you know, is this going to be something that is, uh, you know, going to be well-received?
1: Yeah, there's a fraction, a very small fraction of your reader list that it's a good idea to approach and ask them to be beta readers. Because there are things that'll happen that'll slip through the editing process. And when you write a book traditionally, you you hand in the manuscript, you don't see it until you get it back for revisions and then you hand it in for that final time. And they go, yep, we got it from here. You have no idea what's going to come out on the other end. However, those folks do put together a very clean, very clean manuscript. Although not perfect. Like it's very... I always smile when I'm like reading Harry Potter to the kids and I'll find a, a typo in the middle of the best-selling yeah, like, yeah, since yeah. the Bible or whatever. And um, so nothing is perfect, but they produce a really high-quality manuscript. But when, when the buck stops with you, you're making the final decision on every sentence, which means you can screw it up. And sometimes that happens. So it's great to have a reader team that makes sure you didn't accidentally change somebody's name or location or, no you know, there's coherence through the story and you haven't made any glaring errors. And so they've been quite useful over the years to help with those kinds of things. The other thing that they do for authors is they'll often be the first folks to write a review. Um, uh, that's a whole like slightly slimy, dirty ecosystem reviews on Amazon. You know, there's a whole bunch of skullduggery around all of that that I've I'm not really a part of anymore since selling so directly. Yeah. Because what happens for me is that people just comment on my ads. They'll say, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I love you. You're the best. Or we're like, you're Satan. Go to hell and die. T- go to hell and die. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you get plenty of feedback anyway, but it helps not to be completely beholden to a whole gaggle of, of Amazon reviews. Otherwise, you know, nobody, nobody will buy your book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes
1: sense. That makes sense
0: before we wrap up here I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit too because you have you have some other causes and organizations that you're you're very connected with you know through like the PTSD and and all of that talk a little bit about those programs and what it is that you have found and are doing
1: yeah that's thank you that's a great question um so what happens to a human is we have fundamental questions about our worth and am I lovable am I good enough and I think every one of us has those questions. And we all have these events that happen in our lives that make us believe on some fundamental level that we're lacking. This is extremely common, way more common than, than people think. And then when you do things in the military, particularly things in combat, those can stay with you and they can fester in your mind and your psyche. They can sabotage your relationships because they sabotage your, your feeling of what you're able to bring to a relationship. Your doubt in your own abilities and worth and value is magnified when you go through intense experiences. And at the same time, there's, until recently, not been much cultural tolerance for getting help with that kind of stuff. So you don't really realize that you have this kind of disease. And um, you also don't realize that it's treatable, usually until something happens in your life and it comes to a crisis point. So there's a an organization called the Headstrong Foundation, which uh, provides mental health care that's stigma-free and anonymous and hassle-free and also cost-free care for military veterans. And I tell you what, the help that uh, my family and I got from them has been absolutely life-changing. So it's one of my sort of first crusades to maybe spread the word about that and help those folks to keep doing the amazing work that they're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I feel like, you know, obviously PTSD is something that, you know certainly afflicts a lot of the military personnel, but I also feel like there's other points in life, like you kind of pointed out, other situations in life that can grow and fester and, you know, basically put you into that same type of, right. you know, that same type of headspace. And uh, it's interesting. I'm glad that it's getting more visibility and more acceptance to be able to to go out and get that help when, yeah. right? So. Well, and
1: there's an internal barrier to ask you for help also because... I didn't get my leg blown off. I have friends who have gone to a lot of funerals in the fighter business over the years, and a lot of my friends died badly, but never in my arms, right? Mm-hmm. They never got blood splattered all over me. And so I felt like I didn't deserve to take help that somebody else might need, you know, who's obviously been through more than I have. And it was actually kind of an eye-opener to realize that, oh, there's, there's enough help for me too. Yeah, And it can really help, not just myself, but my wife and certainly my kids, the environment they grow up in, we shape as parents. So it was a mindset shift for me, arriving at that point that I would allow myself to go talk to somebody, even though I have all my limbs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that may sound silly, but that's Filled. sort of really how we think.
0: So we learned that when you publish a book, you obviously want to be found pretty well everywhere. That much is obvious. But what most people will do is they will publish their book onto Amazon and they think that that is going to miraculously drive people to purchase their book. What Lars suggests is that you use Amazon as an avenue but you should absolutely be selling your books from your own platform. He suggested using Shopify as the preferred network that he has found to be able to work very, very well for this purpose. And you also want to build a list of buyers. This is really, really important because again, what a lot of people will do is they might give away a free chapter or some type of lead magnet to be able to entice someone into giving you their name or email address. And what ends up happening is if you generate quite a bit of traffic, you have to pay to be able to maintain that list. As that list grows, it gets to be more and more expensive from whoever is managing your list, whether it be MailChimp or you know any of the other mail platforms that might be out there. So what Lars does is he will only offer to capture people's contact information after they've gone through and gone through the, the purchasing process. So your list is a list of buyers and that is incredibly, incredibly more valuable. I would take a list of 100 buyers any day to a list of 10,000 people that might be interested in your services. You always want to be able to focus in on the list of buyers. Once you have this contact information of this list of buyers, you want to be able to cultivate that relationship with people so that they are getting to know your personality. So keep in front of them and keep reaching out to them. And then you can they can help you in the future when you are looking for help, maybe on the next book or feedback or whatever it might be. You can utilize that relationship with some of the better people to be able to qualify some of your questions. And remember, it's very, very key to be found everywhere. So in the example of Amazon, certain people are not going to want to purchase from your website. It's going to be too much work. It's going to be too much to be able to enter in all the contact information. So they may rather go to Amazon where they have all of their stored information already. So you want to be able to have that as an option, but you don't want to rely on it and depend on it as your only option. And if you want to learn more about Lars or anything that he might have going on right now, just head over to Lars.buzz, which is lar And if you want to understand what the wealthy do, head over to investinsquarefeet.com and sign up for our newsletter. That's going to do two things for you. We're going to publish special outtakes from episodes that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And you're also going to have access to investment opportunities that we may have in real estate and technology offerings. We drop every Wednesday and we are available on whatever podcast platform it is that you use.